Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring mountains are still being moved strongholds are still being moved God, we well good morning
Would you guys stand with us? And let's uh, sing together. Let's pray before we start real quick. Father God, we just thank you that we get to come into this house to worship you, that we get to gather, that we have the freedom to gather, Lord, that we can come and lift your name up. There's something with when the saints gather together that uh, just honors you, Lord, and we just thank you that, that we can um, lift your name high by our praises, by our singing. God, help it to be honoring to you today. Help our focus to be not on the distractions that have happened as we come in, but on you and your glory and that your name be made great today. God, we love you and we thank you.
Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. I'm Pastor Tony Svensson, the Go Pastor. Uh, if you are here this morning and you are in need of prayer, I wanted to let you know that our elders will be in the prayer room in between services. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, if we can pray for you, your family in any way, uh, we invite you to be prayed for by the elders. I uh, also wanted to let you know of an opportunity coming up this next Saturday. Uh, we are going to have a gospel conversations training an opportunity for you to learn a simple way to share the gospel with your friends, your family, your coworkers, the people in your area of influence. Uh, you should have received an email already to sign up for that, but if you haven't, let us know. And we'll send out another reminder this week. It'll be this Saturday from 9 to 1130. Uh, and then following that, we'll also have another opportunity for you to learn about the Go Short ministry and the short-term mission trips uh, that we are going to be having in the hopefully the coming year. Uh, but we're beginning to build those partnerships with our long-term workers and building out strategy. Uh, so you'll get to hear about our, our Japan strategy, our Asia strategy, South Africa, Ireland, Mexico, and we're also working on a strategy to work with partners in the Caribbean. 
So please come and, and find out more about that this week and uh, learn uh, how you can get involved in one of those ministries. So there's a, there's a lot going on in the world right now, and uh, the enemy says you need to be afraid, but there's only one who is to be feared, revered, honored, and worshipped, and that is the Lord our God. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So as we come here this morning to worship the one true God, we recognize that he is sovereign, that he is in control. And he has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. And so we have hope, and we have peace, and we have assurance through him that we can trust in him. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch that does not produce fruit, he removes. But he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it may produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as I am the branch is un, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains in the vine, neither you, can you do anything unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, but you can do nothing without me. We are completely reliant upon our Lord Jesus and he makes himself available to us and we worship him. He is our defender. He is our righteousness. And so let's continue to worship him this morning because he is worthy of all of our praise. Amen. Let's stand again as we worship.
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I read an article in Runner's World. Obviously, that's a magazine I look at a lot. And uh, it was detailing the time that uh, American Galen Rupp ran the 5,000 meter in uh, American record time. He beat out uh, Bernard Leggett's record by six one hundredths of a second. And the article said, if I were Bernard Leggett, I would be thinking one thing and one thing only. Maybe I should ditch the necklace. So, that's right, like many elite runners, Leggett is a serial necklace wearer. Some runners wear headbands, bracelets, chains, even watches. Somebody's running... I don't understand the watch when you're trying to, like, am I late for something? Um, but anyway, when events are routinely won and lost by hundreds of a second, the article said, why wouldn't you leave the dangling gold chains and other things home on race day? I think that's a, a legitimate request. 
a thought. Um, do you want to win or do you want to look good? Do you want to set a record or a fashion statement? What are you willing to give up to accomplish your goal? That's a question to ask ourselves. Last week we continued our series through 1 Corinthians, the uh, letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and I won't give you more background again, uh, but uh, last week Paul said that the gospel was more important than his rights, and he listed all the things that he was entitled to, all the rights that he had, uh, and, and then he renounced them. Then he said, I don't want any of these because I, I want to be able to offer the good news for free. He refused to use his rights. And the challenge for us last week, those of us who follow Jesus, is uh, are we willing to give up our rights so that the good news is not hindered, so that the gospel can go forward? Well, that is the theme that continues here in chapter 9. We looked at the first 18 verses of uh 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and now we're going to finish that chapter today, that, that theme of our willingness to give up our rights and our entitlements for the gospel continues here. So if you belong to Jesus, you must run to win. That's the, the title of what we're looking at this morning. Uh, there are rights, there are expectations, there are privileges that you may need to give up so that others can hear about Jesus. Uh, you at least as a follower of Christ you need to be asking that question uh, are there things there are rights privileges that I need to give up in order for the gospel to go forward in this passage Paul details three principles for pointing people to Jesus and uh, before we get to those principles I want you to see Paul's approach to life uh, and uh, he begins in verse 19 and says though I am free from all I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And as already given away here, uh, the fact that this idea of win, Paul is obsessed with winning in this passage. It occurs five times, this word, cardeso, the Greek word, occurs five times in this brief passage that we're looking at this morning. He's talking about winning, and here it means to gain someone for the kingdom of God. And uh, this obsession of his, I want to talk about that for a bit. He says he's free from all, and uh, by that he said, I'm not indebted to anybody. No one owns me. He's a Roman citizen. He has all the rights and privileges of a Roman citizen. Uh, but, but no one, uh, Paul is willing to sacrifice all of those rights, all of those freedoms, in order to what? Live like a servant to all, a slave, doulos, a slave to everybody. For the good, he, he's willing to be a voluntary slave, a servant for the good of others. And I just think, how many marriages would be saved, changed, transformed if husband and wife, or even just one, sacrificed their rights and their freedoms for the other? Uh, you could bring a whole lot of healing to your family, to your friendships, to your relationships, if you would simply make that kind of sacrifice that Paul describes here. And yet, he's doing this for everyone. That's his approach to everybody. He's ready to sacrifice for all people, regardless of the relationship, or their gender, or their ethnicity, or their social status, or their religion, or, or, or their sin, whatever it is. So I want to ask that question. We are going backward for some reason, so let me go forward if I can. What, there, there we go. Back, back. What is important enough to motivate you to give up your own rights and freedoms for the good of others? I want you to think about that question. Um, for Paul, winning meant getting rid of anything that he did or said or felt that might keep some from, someone from Jesus. He saw this as his mission in life. Is winning people over, saving them from the, the judgment and, and eternal death of their sin. And he's willing to enslave himself to do that. So he eliminated anything in his life that might block the message. He gave up rights, privileges, preferences, his own culture to reach others. He was willing to give up everything possible in order to win more. So I want you to ask, is there something that you're hanging on to that might block others from knowing Jesus? 
You, you at least need to ask that question. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in that. Get rid of whatever it is. Is it your right to feel offended? Is it, is it your right of self-expression? Is it your right to, to be appreciated? Is it your right to express your opinion or to have a strong opinion or a different opinion? Uh, whatever it is, is it possible that you need to give up something that's your right to reach people with the gospel? Now, Paul gives three examples of what it means to live like this. And each of these examples he gives has an underlying principle. And so I want to discover those principles one verse at a time. As, and and uh, a, after each of those, I'm going to give you an application question that I want you to think about. All right? So the first of those principles is to identify without mimicking. Verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now, Paul's a Jew. So what's he talking about here? Well, he's, he's going to continue to live like a Jew when he's around. He's going to continue to keep religious laws when he's around Jews, even though now he understands this is not necessary for salvation. See, prior in his life, Paul was busy about keeping all 613 commandments uh, and uh, uh, as, as much as he possibly could as a way to please God and be accepted by God. Now, Paul understands the gospel, and the good news is it's not about him uh, and what he can do to earn God's favor. It's about what Christ had done for him. Paul trusted Jesus alone to make him righteous. And now Paul uh, knew that God accepted him because of Christ, not because of law-keeping. But when he was hanging around other Jews, he didn't want to offend them. So he dressed like them. He ate like them. He observed their holy days. He followed the law's requirements. He even had his fellow worker, Timothy, circumcised in order to conform to Jewish standards. So whatever culture you're in, you should be able to identify with that culture. Now, there's a fine line between identifying and mimicking. Simply imitating culture is not a redeeming thing. Creating Christian versions of what the world is doing is not that helpful to the world. Uh, it's not wrong, but it's not winning. Uh, Christian subcultures, which American life is filled with, I think they can be very counterproductive to the mission of the church. Uh, Paul's not teaching us to create alternatives to the world. Uh, he's teaching us to identify with the culture that we're in. And, and so that means we need to be able to appreciate it and accept it for what it is. Uh, I, I've experienced a number of times when a, a church sends out a mission team uh, that, uh, and it's to a country where there are some sensitivities about dress, modesty, and so forth uh, that aren't our sensitivities particularly. There have been a number of times that we've had problems because there's, there can be a person, at least one on that team, whose attitude is this. I'm an American. I can dress however I want to dress. I can do whatever I want to do. And if that doesn't work, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. And see, but the reality is, if you're going to insist on wearing, for example, shorts and tank tops in Mozambique and Nicaragua, you're, not, you're, you're, not a, you're offending. You're not identifying. And that's what we're called to here. You know, so uh, that's the, the question I want to ask, is how can you better identify with the people around you in ways that point them to Jesus? That's an application question. So when I live in a community, I'm going to live like the people around me as best I can. So to the Texans, I become like a Texan. But I'm not fixing to mimic y'all. Bless your heart. I'm not fixing to do that. You will not win others unless you take time and effort to identify with those around you. That leads us to the next principle. Oh my goodness, that's the last verse in the passage. So somebody's going to have to help me here. Here we go. Number two, flex without compromising. I'm flexing right now. Verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So Paul's Jewish, but he spent an awful lot of time with Gentiles. Everybody who is outside the law, that is a non-Jew. The Jews are under the law. Everybody else is a Gentile. That means every other ethnicity and religion, every other people group in the world are outside the law. That covers every culture. And so when he was with everybody else but Jews, Paul set aside his Jewish identity. 
He dressed and ate and acted in ways that were consistent with the people he was with. And so Paul would bend to adapt to his audience. But he wouldn't compromise the message. He wouldn't bend on that. Uh, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says that Paul is flexible, but he's not infinitely elastic. He's not elastic-man. He's going to bend, but there's a point where he, he won't. Now, notice, Paul differentiates between the law of God and the law of Christ. And, and I think here the law of God refers to all the rules and regulations that govern God's people in the Old Testament. That law was impossible to keep perfectly and shows just how sinful we are. And breaking one part of it, you break all of it. Uh, salvation comes when instead of trying to earn God's mercy by keeping the law, we accept the work Jesus did for us. And then instead of trying to follow rules to please God, we live for God out of love and gratitude. And so when Paul says he's governed or under only one law, the law of Christ, that meant he was committed to loving God and loving others. And Paul would do anything other than sin to carry out the law of Christ. Paul was, was willing to, to give in and to flex over anything he could in order to win someone. If it was wrong, he wouldn't do it. If it conflicted with the message of the gospel, he wouldn't do it. But otherwise, he bent over backwards to be sensitive to those he was around. That's what Jesus did. Jesus ate and drank with all sorts of people. He hung out with the less desirables, and he caught flack from religious people for those he hung out with. He was also, Jesus was, a Jew who kept the holidays, who went to temple observances and Sabbath services. He met people where they were. He entered their world. He loved them and did not sin. Now, there are two extremes that church people uh, get into and I think that they, these are endemic in our country. And those scenes are extreme separatism, extreme compromise. So I want you to, you know, what way do you tend to be? Because let me tell you right now, if you're an extreme separatist, you will be of little use to God in his mission in this world because you have almost no connection to the world. You, you, you've walled yourself off. You, you're trying to get as far apart from the world as possible. And, and your separatism, we, we have entire churches and, and denominations that live that way. And you're not going to be of much use for God's mission to this world. On the other hand, there's extreme compromise. And you're going to be of little use in God's mission to the world because you will be just like the world. You're living just like them. There's no, no discernible difference in, in how you behave and how you, you orient your life and your priorities. And, and the principle we learn from the New Testament is flexibility without compromising the truth. And so the question I, I want to have you ask yourself here as we go backwards again, let's go forward, there we go. What behaviors, rights, and opinions do you need to flex in without compromising the message? So, for example, it, it would help you, to some extent, to know who Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion are, but it's not that helpful to sing their lyrics to their hit song or to ogle them as they dance. All right? So th there's a difference there. There's this, there's this. So what opinions, behaviors, rights do you need to flex in but not compromise the message? All right, third principle. Empathize without judging. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So in this context, the weak are the immature in faith. They can be people who are trusting their rule following rather than Christ alone. They can be people who are overly scrupulous, maybe overly separatist. Uh, they, they, they might be people who are easily offended by those who don't share their views. And when around that type of person, Paul tried to understand their position. He tried to understand their values and their feelings and respect those. And he refused to do things that offended those easily offended people. Uh, he, um, Jewish scholar David Stern says that uh, Paul didn't expect others to meet him halfway. He entered into their world. So he didn't, like, it was, let's compromise. No, he entered their world, those who were weak in faith. So he conformed. So if they felt it was wrong to eat meat, Paul didn't eat meat. Uh, if they refused to buy food dedicated to idols, Paul didn't either. If they required a hat, Paul wore it. That was how he responded. 
He didn't judge them. He didn't call out their weaknesses. He didn't treat them as, un- as inferior, unenlightened. He did everything possible. Uh, he gave up his freedoms in order to win them. He was willing to enter into their lives and share their circumstances. So in a sense, Paul was like a chameleon, changing to connect with his audience so that they could hear the truth. Now, there were limits. He didn't become an adulterer around the adulterers. He didn't become mean and nasty among the mean and nasty. Other than sin, he did whatever he could to live winningly. Now, I don't get this right. I mess it up a lot. Uh, But I want to share a story I've shared several years ago before uh, as an example of how this one time I know God helped me to empathize rather than to judge. Uh, It was uh, at a a benefit walk that... uh, we were participating in. We were along the waterfront uh, on this benefit walk. I think it was for a pregnancy care center. And uh, lots of people there. And somebody I knew introduced me to a guy that they worked with. And he and I started talking and walking along the waterfront. My wife and daughters actually were then off with other people. And, and so I started asking questions. I find out he's a banker. And I find out that he loved the Chicago Cubs. And, and so I don't tell him I'm a pastor and I like the White Sox. I talk to him about his world. Um, and uh, I, as, I, as I explored a little bit, I, I realized he's probably not a follower of Jesus. Uh, he's there to do a good deed. And so, you know, we're just entering into conversation uh, just for a few moments. And all of a sudden, he nudged me, and he says, look at that. And I turned toward the waterfront, and there, just about 20 yards away, is a boat cruising by with a couple of women in bikinis on it. And... I, time seemed to stop, sort of like right now. Like, what do I do? It's like all this is going through my mind. It's like, because what do I say? He doesn't know I'm married. He doesn't know I'm a man of the cloth, right? Uh, it, so I don't want to. I don't want to make him feel like a jerk. And I, I'm not going to ogle these women. And I'm not going to say, well, that's disgusting. Uh, I'm not going to do any of that. What do I do? It's the question. And all of that went through my mind in like a second. And I believe the Spirit of God gave me wisdom. And I nodded and I said, that is a nice boat. And I went back to talk about the cups. So the question here, how can you enter into their world without being superior or judgmental? Ask that about the can you lay down your political passions rather than allowing those passions to interfere with the good news of Jesus? Because I'm telling you, especially these days, it does. I don't care what you think, what your politics are, it's going to interfere with the gospel. Can you lay those down? Can you, di- can you curb your distaste for certain lifestyles so that the good news of Jesus comes first? You know, some Christians, you might be one, I'm I'm just saying, some Christians seem to think that the goal of their life as a Christian is to change somebody's views about issues, change somebody's view about homosexuality, change somebody's view about abortion, change somebody's view about transgenderism. Absolutely not. That is not the goal. Those views don't save you, whatever they are. Only Jesus saves. And, And You know what? Getting someone to accept a biblical view of sexuality will get them not one step closer to heaven. Do you understand that? That, That's why the gospel has to be first. And yet we have so many Christians today harping about issues as if that's the, the, the path to salvation when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the gospel. So, as we think about the fact that only Faith in Christ alone can save. Let's look at these three principles again here. That winning others. First, identify without mimicking. Flex without compromising. Empathize without judging. That's, That's what the examples that Paul gives. Now, here's the benefit, he says, of living this way. Verse 23. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So by living this way, Paul says, I become a sharer. That is a participant, a fellow partaker, a partner in the gospel. 
Now, that doesn't mean he's earning his salvation by living this way. What it means is, this is how I live out the gospel in my everyday life. Not by mimicking the world, not by compromising with sin, not by judging the lives of others, but by identifying and flexing and empathizing with everyone around you. And these are things every believer should do. Not things just for the Apostle Paul, not things for the pastor. Uh, Everyone who follows Jesus, these are the kinds of principles, this is the way you need to live. Uh, Let me point this out, that the very center of the gospel involves identifying with others to gain them for God's kingdom. That's, That's the center of the gospel, because that's what Jesus did. The eternal Son of God left the glory of heaven, set aside his rights and privileges, veiled and limited himself in human form, became one of us, entered into our broken, sinful, time-bound world. Jesus experienced the limitations, the weaknesses, the pain of this earth, and that's how we know that God Almighty understands us. That's how we know we have a Savior who empathizes with us. He knows our feebleness because he entered our world. He identified with sinners, and he did it without sinning. How far did Jesus go? He went really far beyond identifying and flexing and empathizing. He took my sin on himself. He died the death I should have died. Through faith, I am made righteous by his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. Jesus identified to the point of taking our place. How far are you willing to go for the gospel? How much are you willing to bend, to adapt, to endure in order to participate in a gospel-driven life? So Paul ends with this challenge, these verses here, verses 24 to 27. Remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. You also must run in such a way that you will win. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, I just want you to get the, the sense of, of this text here because the Corinthians understood immediately what Paul was talking about because this was their world. Corinth hosted the Isthmian Games. Uh, and th- those games, that was a festival held every other year, and the athletes who participated in the Isthmian Games were the ones who were in the Olympiad as well. And that was their, they, they understood this. And so uh, one scholar says, these athletes applied self-control to every sphere of life that might affect the outcome of the race, from diet to mastering sexual appetite. That's how committed they were to winning, to competing in this race. And, and Paul says, hey, we're in, a, we're in a far different race. The victors of the Isthmian Games, they're competing for a, a prize that will fade away. You know what it was? It was a circle of wilted leaves made of celery. That's how, it was wilted already when they gave it to the victor. It was, that's... You know, the important thing is winning, not this great prize. Paul says, they're competing for that kind of prize. We have a far greater prize in mind. I, I'm, we're having a crown that lasts forever. And so I'm going to give up some things, Paul says. I, I'm going I'm to give my best effort to live in a way that puts the gospel first, no matter what. Now, some, some sad statistics. Um... I'll just quote the, the latest from 2019, but they, they've been bad for a long time. More than 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month in 2019. They didn't leave to go to another church. They left the ministry. 1,700 plus every month. Also that year, over 100,000 people left the church every month. This is the United States. Now, the pandemic only can have made those numbers worse. We don't have the figures yet, we just are hearing that it's, that it's astounding how many pastors are leaving, how many people are leaving. And it's so disturbing because we cannot abandon God's method for saving the world. That's the church. Ephesians 3.10 says that God chose to make his wisdom known through the church. 
We can't give it up for any reason. Because here's the principle, together we embody the good news. Becoming all things to all people so that by all possible means some will be saved. That's the principle Paul laid out. And that's who we are together as the local body of believers in Jesus. We embody the good news. We're the method God has chosen to reach this world. Are you willing to set aside your rights? Are you willing to set aside your preferences so that others will be attracted to Jesus instead of repelled? That's so crucial. I was thinking this week of something that happened years ago. We, we moved into a neighborhood and, and uh, met our neighbors. It was a couple and their children younger than us. Their children are all younger than, than ours. And, but uh, we, we had friendly conversations and, uh, uh, you know, and we'd, we'd help each other do some things, and move some things around and uh, loan tools to one another and and then after a few months, we invited the family over to our house for dinner, and Amy made a, uh, a beautiful roast beef dinner, and I remember basically the first thing that they said, and I don't remember it was the husband or the wife, said, we don't eat much beef. So that we weren't off to a good start, but uh, it was a great dinner anyway. We had a good time together, and learning about each other, uh, getting to know one another a little bit. I, I, I soon discovered that while they were not hostile to the gospel, in any way, they also weren't interested. Um, there just wasn't any real curiosity there. So I was really surprised one day when uh, I had a men's breakfast at church, men and sons, I think it was. I didn't have a son, but my neighbor showed up with, with his son, and I was surprised. I hadn't even invited him. He just came, and, and they, they came to a Christmas music at some point. After about two years that we had lived there, they moved. So they're no longer in our lives in that way. And, and when the new neighbors moved in, it was a couple that was even younger and their children were even younger. And frankly, I was very slow to connect with them. Yes, we said hello, we greeted them, we knew their names, and that's about as far as it went. I just wasn't investing any energy into getting into their world to speak of. Our youngest daughter, Carissa, was the opposite. I mean, these kids were younger than her by a bit, so they weren't the greatest playmates, but she really reached out to this family. I mean, she not only hung out with the kids and made them welcome. She was interacting with the mom and dad as well, very outgoing in that respect. And uh, this went on for a couple of months, and she came home one day and said, Dad, uh, the neighbors want to talk to you. And I said, well, what about? Well, she said, well, I, you know, I've been telling them about the church, and, and uh, you know, they have some questions about, about Jesus, and, and, uh, and I told them you were a pastor. Oh, buddy, why did you do that? And so, you know, they want, and, I, and I'm thinking, yeah, I bet they got questions. So I, I contacted them, and I said, my, my daughter tells me that you have some questions, and yeah, we, we, we'd, like to, we'd like to talk with you. So I made an appointment, and I, one afternoon, sat in their living room and heard their story and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, and both of them put their trust in Jesus. And a couple of months later, I had the privilege of baptizing them and seeing them become part of the church. And in less than a year, God called us away to another state. And I think, wow, my daughter, who is no longer as outgoing as she used to be then, if she hadn't got in used her to identify and to enter into the world of this couple, I would have never had the opportunity to share with them. I just thought of that and wondered, how might God want to use you? in your world? How can you better identify with others? What rights and opinions would you be willing to bend and sacrifice for the good of the gospel? Paul was willing to do anything 
How about you? Lord, you've entrusted the church with a great message, with a life-changing message. Lord, we're all different ways of personality and giftedness and maturity, and yet each one of us can play a part in spreading that gospel. So Lord, may we be willing to follow the example of the Apostle Paul and to be more like Jesus in his incarnational way and enter our world to win others with the good news of Jesus. And I pray this in the precious name of our Savior. Amen. song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh we live for you, Jesus the name above every other Jesus, the name above. 
Now may grace, mercy, and peace be with us in truth and love from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.